Well, good morning. My name is Dwayne. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries, a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. Uh, today is September the 9th, and we are continuing our study through the book of Acts. We have arrived in Acts chapter number 18 today, and we're going to read down through verses 7 to 8 just for context, and we'll pick up. Uh, last time we did session 29, we got what well, actually was session 30, uh, and session 30 covered 17 through 18, yeah, 17, 18 through 18, 8. So we'll pick up, we'll read for context starting in 18, 1 through, through verse number 8. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome um, and came unto them. Good morning, guys. Good morning, Notice. Good morning, Mac. God bless you, brother. Uh, and because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And of course, we discussed how this is the first time it's revealed to us that Paul actually had a trade, um, and he was a tent maker. And no doubt they made these tents for uh, the shepherds, the nomadic peoples of the Middle East, uh, and no doubt the Roman soldiers. And apparently uh, Priscilla and Aquila also shared this craft, and... Uh, he abode with them and wrought. In other words, he abode with them and began to work <clears throat> in making these tents. <clears throat> and then verse number four, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and <clears throat> the Greeks. And of course, that word Greek is Hellene, which is referring to non-Jewish Greeks. These are just Greeks. Uh, when it uses the word Hellenistas, it's usually translated Grecians in the King James. So this is referring to, um, uh, this is referring to Gentiles. Um, and when Silas and Timotheus came down from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. So even though he's in the, in the synagogue, he's persuading both Jews and, and Gentiles here. He's pressed in his spirit and he begins to testify to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Um, so he's speaking specifically to the Jews. You remember, I think it, excuse me, I think it was back up in 15 somewhere. We'll talk about it. But he says that, that Christ must needs have suffered. In other words, Paul spent a, a large amount of time in the synagogues teaching or persuading the Jews that Jesus had to have died that he must have suffered so that he could die, so that he could, he, could, he could resurrect, so that he could indeed offer the kingdom uh, to the Jewish nation. And again, a lot of people miss this in the church. Um, they believe that Jesus came in the Gospels, he offered them the kingdom, they rejected it by killing him, and then the kingdom was given to the church, or at least a spiritual kingdom was offered to the church in Acts chapter number 2. 
the more I've studied the Bible, and I've been in the ministry a long time, and I've taught through the Bible many times. I've taught through the book of Acts many times. I, I've, I, it has simply eluded me as to how wrong <laughs> that is. Jesus came and preached, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand throughout the gospels. He taught it, John the Baptist taught it, and the 12 taught it. Jesus could not have offered the kingdom to the nations of Israel until after he had been crucified and resurrected from the dead. Hebrews tells us that very clearly, and we've talked about that. Um, he is the mediator of the new covenant. A covenant is not enforced until the, until the testator is dead. So the new covenant, the New Testament, could not have even been offered to the nation of Israel until after the testator was dead, after he had signed it in his own blood. Um, like today, when we read a last will and testament, it's something that's read after the testator is dead. The kingdom could not have been offered to the nation of Israel in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It could only have been offered after the death of the testator. And that is exactly what Peter did. Peter was the one that was given the keys. Peter was the one that was elected to be the spokesman by Jesus. Jesus was, Peter was the one that offered the kingdom to the nation of Israel in Acts chapter number 2. So if that be the case, and the kingdom is being offered to Israel in Acts chapter number 2, where do we get off calling it the birth of the church? We misunderstand. We're not rightly dividing. We're not grasping what happened. Pentecost, Acts 2, was Jewish. It was to Jews. The only Gentiles present were proselytes. So Acts 2 is not the birth of the body of Christ. Paul makes it very clear to Timothy that he was the first into the body. He was the pattern that would be for those who would follow thereafter. Paul was the first into the body of Christ. So Paul wasn't saved in Acts chapter number 2. Paul wasn't converted until Acts chapter number 9. So <laughs> the, the body of Christ couldn't have been in Acts chapter number 2. And yet so much is built around Acts chapter number 2 in the church today. So much confusion follows the follows as a result of that misunderstanding of what is happening in, happening in Acts chapter number 2. So again, we see him here in, in Acts chapter 18, verse number 4, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the, persuaded the Jews and the Greeks, and he was pressed in his spirit, and he testified to the Jews that what? Jesus was the Christ. That Jesus came and did exactly what he needed to do so that the kingdom could be offered to them. And then it says in verse number six, And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean from henceforth. I'm going to go to the Gentiles. Um, again, he they, when it says they opposed themselves, in other words, they did not want the truth. They pushed away the truth. They actually blasphemed, which means to push away. <clears throat> and the nation of Israel was guilty of blaspheming the Holy Spirit. When Jesus warned in the Gospels about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, all things done against the Son can be forgiven. But he that blasphemes the Holy Spirit, 
The nation of Israel blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Yes, we can blaspheme the Holy Spirit, which I believe is dying without Christ, but we are not blaspheming the Holy Spirit the same way that the nation of Israel did. The nation of Israel, the, Pente- the Spirit was given at Pentecost, the king and the kingdom was offered, and they rejected it. They pushed it away. And that's exactly what these guys are still doing here. And he shook his raiment, and that was a Middle Eastern way of saying, I'm through with you. Your blood be upon your own heads. I'm clean, for henceforth I'll go to the Gentiles. Now, we're going to see as we keep reading that he went right back to the synagogue, not the Corinthian synagogue, but he, he's just saying here, I'm done with you Jews here um, in this synagogue, um, in this Corinthian synagogue. Um, and then we're going to pick up here. This is where we ended last week. Uh, verse number nine, or verse number seven. And he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, the one that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all of his heart, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were, and were baptized. Now, this Justice, uh, we don't know who he was, but he was obviously a Gentile. Uh, he worshiped God, and his house was right next door to the synagogue. So, it seems that he was definitely a Gentile. He was interested. He worshiped God, just like many Gentiles did. He was considering becoming Jewish through, through proselytization, but he hadn't done it yet. Um, but he believed. Um, and Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed. With all of his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. And, and this is obviously the birth of the Corinthian church. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. Now there's no doubt in my mind that Paul was beginning to grow a little weary in (laughs) well-doing and needed some encouragement that only God could give him. I mean, Paul may very well have been at the point of calling it quits based on um, the encouragement that's being given to him because the Lord says, Be not afraid, hold not thy peace. I am with you. No man's going to sit on you or hurt you, for I have a lot of people in this city. Uh, it reminds me of the expression that I, I heard years ago, you are immortal until God is through with you. So God is encouraging Paul um, that, you know, you're going to be all right. I have a lot of people in this city. Don't be afraid. Nobody's going to sit on you to hurt you. I have a lot of people here. And no doubt, Paul was a little gun shy. I mean, he had been railroaded out of every town he went to. I mean, he was railroaded out of Thessalonica. He was railroaded out of Berea. Um, And now in Corinth, uh, obviously, he's at at the end of his rope or else the Lord wouldn't be giving him this type of encouragement. Now, the King James um, um, translation uh, makes this in, in red, meaning that the Lord spoke to Paul, the Lord referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, the same one that spoke to him on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? 
he's coming here again. And he's saying, be not afraid, but speak and do not hold your peace. Apparently he was getting ready to quit. Apparently he was tired. And I've been to that point in ministry where I just want to drop my sword and go home. Uh, You get tired of fighting. You get tired. It seems like every day is just a repeat of the day before. You're fighting, if not the same enemies, they all start to look alike because the the problems all seem to be alike. Uh, And and you get tired. I, I, the biggest, my biggest fear in ministry was always that I would get burnt out. And I did. I did get burnt out. And when ministers or people get burnt out, it takes a while for them to recover. There's no doubt Paul must have been, he needed this encouragement or the Lord wouldn't have given it to him. Uh, And then he says in verse 11, and he continued there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So apparently the the encouragement helped (laughs) because uh, he stayed there. Uh, Notice it says a year and six months. Uh, so obviously he dug his heels in, he stayed, and he kept teaching here at the Church of Corinth. And of course, First, Second Corinthians is to these guys. Uh, like I said before, he actually wrote four letters to the Corinthians. Uh, we don't have two of them, obviously. Obviously, they were not deemed uh, canonizable, or else they would be in our New Testament. Um, so he continued there a year and six months, teaching the Word of God among them. And then verse 12, and when Galileo was the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul. Here you go. (laughs) And brought him to the judgment seat, saying, this fellow persuadeth men to worship God contrary to the law. So, party's over. (laughs) The fact that they were accusing Paul of persuading men to worship God contrary to the law makes it very clear here that he was teaching the gospel of grace that did not require the keeping of the law. So the fact that he was accused of persuading men to worship God contrary to the law means he was not teaching the kingdom gospel here. He was teaching uh, the gospel of grace. And, of course, they accused him of insurrection, of sedition, the same thing that he was accused of earlier, the same thing that Jesus was accused of. Now, the fact that he was accused of insurrection, insurrection is a rising against the government and the governmental authorities. So he had to have been preaching Jesus here. And his, you know, the fact that he was was the king, you know, I guess when he was speaking to the Jews. So he's accused of that same insurrection as well. So that must have came out of his reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews about how Christ must needs suffer and that he did come to offer himself as king and a kingdom. So he's accused of insurrection, but he's also accused of persuading men to worship God contrary to the law. So that had to have been the teaching of grace as well or he wouldn't have been accused of that. Now, some will say that the Jews were wrong here in accusing him. Uh, Not at all. I mean, what they were accusing Paul of was 100% correct. He was teaching salvation apart from the law, and that's why they were upset with him. So that tells me, like I said, he was not teaching the kingdom gospel. 
He was teaching salvation apart from the law. The very acknowledgement of this fact is a nod to dispensationalism. Paul was teaching grace. Again, not in the dispensational law anymore, but had moved to the dispensation of grace. And we've studied that. Again, a dispensation is a given period in redemptive history that God deals with man in a certain way. Now, most mainline dispensationalists will say, for example, man in the garden when he was in his innocence in Genesis 1 through 3, he dealt with them different than after they sinned. After they sinned, man entered into a dispensation of conscience. There was no law, but man had a knowledge of right and wrong. He had his conscience uh, in Genesis 3 through 8. And then in dispensationalism, after, after conscience, after, um, was, is when God established civil government. In Genesis 9 through 11, when he started to, started to lay down rules in regards to, you know, if a man sheds a man's blood by, his man, by a man's blood, his, his blood shall be shed. Uh, so you have this civil law that was established in Genesis 9 through 11. And, of course, that culminated with the flood. Uh, and then you have the promise, the dispensation of promise that was given in Genesis chapter 12 through Exodus 19, which was um, Genesis 12 was the promise to Abraham that I will bless those who bless you. I'll, I'll, I'll curse the, those who curse you. And, of course, that ended with the giving of the law in Exodus chapter number 20 as given to, um, given, given to the nation. Um, and then that ended with grace. Uh, now, a lot of people, and even here, I copy and pasted this, will say that law ended in Acts 2-4. I would disagree with that. That's why I changed that to Acts 9. So I would actually change this to Acts 9. The law ended um, when the body of Christ was born. Um, and then we enter into a time of grace. And I believe grace is represented, Acts 9 through Philemon. And then one day we're going to go into the tribulation and then into the kingdom. So anyway, dispensationalism, uh, the word dispensation just is a dispensing the way God dispenses his grace throughout the ages. So, excuse me, I am a dispensationalist, a dispensationalist. Um, I'm not a covenant theologian. The covenants are for the nation of Israel, and that's what we're studying in that other Bible study I started yesterday. Covenants are not for the Jews. To say that I'm a covenant theologian, to me, is a contradiction. Um, it's The covenants are not for the Gentiles. Uh, covenants are for the Jews. We are not God's covenant people. The Jewish people are God's covenant people. And again, you can't arrive at covenant theology without embracing replacement theology, which means the church is now Israel. The covenants aren't for the church. The covenants aren't for the body of Christ. The new covenant, the New Testament, is not for the body of Christ. It was for the nation of Israel, and they rejected it. So we're not living under it. Right now, we're not in the new covenant. 
The new covenant was rejected when they rejected the king and his kingdom. So it wasn't magically delivered to the church, but that's where the Acts 2 folks land. And again, like I said, that's a misunderstanding of what was going on in the gospel. So I'm out of time. Um, next time we get together tomorrow morning, 630, we'll pick up in chapter and verse number 14. And we'll also, um, I'll work some time in here to finish my study on are we under the new covenant? As you can tell, I don't believe we are. We're not under the new covenant. So, you know, we don't need to be uh, calling ourselves covenant people. Uh, we're not under the new covenant, the new covenants for the Jew. And we were looking at that and we'll continue to do so as the days go by as I have time. So God bless you guys. Um, Y'all have a great day and I'll see you tomorrow morning.